You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, wonderful to be with you today, this morning. In fact, in, in many ways, can I like raise this, please? Yeah. <laughs> he had a little concerned look in his face whenever I asked him that too. I can see this is a Stuart Hunt church. The clock is really small at the back that the preacher can't really see it. That's <laughs> great. So if you see me squinting, I'm trying. I'm trying my best to stay on time. It's good. Well, it's actually surreal to be here this morning. You know, Eltham, I've only ever heard of it through uh, friends. Uh, so it's, it's, that's quite new, but there's relationships in this building that go a long, long way back, and that's the surreal part for me, to be able to be here with Sam and Andrea and the kids, and of course with Stuart and Bronwyn and the kids. <laughs> uh, deep, deep friendships that I have uh, not only appreciated, but from, have benefited from over the years. Uh, Sam, uh, as my big brother, has been a huge example to me uh, in, with his integrity, with his commitment to the Lord and his purposes, and how he's lived those out and pursued them, and I have deeply appreciated that and have benefited from it in my life. Stuart and I had the privilege of serving together for five years, about half of that time on the ship, and then ha- the other half in the U.S., and we have had some incredibly fun times together, times where we've seen the Lord use us and, and lots of adventures. And, you know, I have lots of stories, both of Sam and Stuart, but... I am going to refrain this morning because I just, uh, yeah, yeah, for all sorts of reasons, put my own health uh, <laughs> as being one of them, but I, uh, I have deeply appreciated that. I think the one, one uh, thing that I smile about, because there's somebody on my team that acts very similarly uh, to this, and when we travel together, that Stuart often comes to mind, but Stuart and I both have this habit of wherever we're going, we walk very fast. And we look as if we know where we're going with purpose. And there were many times when we were traveling together that both of us would just all of a sudden stop and say, do you know where you're going? Because I'm following you. Uh, And often, more often than not, we said, well, actually, no, I I was following you. And we had to uh, change direction in that. So it's it's a huge honor to be here. I'm humbled to be here this morning. And uh, especially because I know that week after week the Word of God is taught in here at a very high level with great excellence and with uh, great purpose and deep content. And so for me to be able to come along and hope to even add to that or in some way match that is is huge and very humbling. And I just hope and pray that God will use what I have to say this morning, what's what's been uh, in my heart to speak to to you this morning. And so even the little bit that I've heard about Eltham uh, Baptist is, is... uh, it is really encouraging, and uh, I believe with all of my heart, based on what I've heard, that what I'm saying this morning as a corporate body is owned and followed. So therefore, I'm speaking to you this morning, not so much as a corporate body, although we're g- gathered corporately, but as individuals, because I-, I pastored for a while, and I've been working with people for a while, and I know my own heart, and I know this, is that just because something sits in our brain doesn't mean what it's lived out in our life. Or just because I'm part of a body of people who, who go in this direction doesn't mean I'm fully engaged with that, doesn't mean I fully own it, fully believe it, or fully let it work out in my life. So this is a message really to you as individuals that, as, as I unpack it today. And I don't believe you'll hear anything new in that sense, based on what I know what's taught here. But I hope that today it may go a little deeper and may result in action. So, Father, would you lead and guide us again? Thank you for what we've sung. Thank you for what's already been prayed. Thank you for this time that we've got to be together around uh, the name of Jesus, around the word, your word. Continue to guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I love art. I uh, do not claim in any way to be an aficionado, but... I I love to watch art or I love to look at art and just appreciate the skill behind the painting or the piece of art that I'm looking at. I particularly like the the realistic type. If you see somebody who's drawn maybe an animal or or a portrait and and you look at it first of all and you think, that's a photograph. That That has to be a photograph. And then you look closer and you see, actually, somebody has drawn this with pencil or ink or paint. 
That blows me away, that somebody can bring something to life with a paintbrush or with a pencil. The, the type I'm not so keen on is the abstract. You know the one that you think maybe the artist slipped and fell and just dropped the paint on it and it's just a big splash? That I don't get so much. I just am not wired that way to think in the abstract. But regardless of, of the, the type of art, the work of art itself, the thing that's true about all forms of art is that before the art form or the art piece was formed, there was an intent, there was a dream, there was a vision in the heart and in the mind of the artist that was, was born, was stirred up inside them. And from that dream, from that vision, from that intent, that picture that they saw in their mind, they formed this piece of art. So before the work of art ever became reality, there was an intent, there was a dream, there was a vision, there was an idea in the heart of the artist. And whenever we get to see what they produced when they brought the paint together, when they unfolded the canvas, when they decided how to mix the paint, what cuts to make, what light to bring into the painting, before we ever got, get to see that, uh, or when we get to see that final product, we get to look not simply at a painting, but at something that was designed, that was drawn up, that, was, that, that, that came from the heart, the mind of the artist. Now, we may look at that, and especially abstract, and we may try to pull out a meaning. We may try to, in, in a sense, impose a meaning on that painting. Maybe the artist was thinking this, or maybe the artist thought that way. But the reality is, regardless of the meaning we try to impose in that painting, nothing changes the reality, or nothing changes the truth of what the original artist was meaning and tended on that painting. God is the original artist of creation. He is the original creator. He is the one who, before anything ever existed, had a desire, had an intent, had a plan. And it was from that plan he created. It was from that plan he put everything that we know, everything that we see together. And he worked from that plan, he worked from that intent, he worked from that, that, that desire in his heart, and he put what we know today as creation into being. And you know, in life, we, we, can, we can look at life, we can look at our existence, and we can try to impose our meaning on it. We can try to uh, come up with a purpose and reason for our own existence, but in the reality, that is really a, what, what some of the most futile of exploits it leads us to chase the temporal. It leads us to chase the fading, the, the elusive things in life. And, and inevitably, when we, when we put our own meaning in life, when we put our own purpose in life, when we put our own intent into life, other than the Creator's intent, what we end up coming to is something incredibly empty and temporal and fading and meaningless. You know, Michael Phelps is somebody who's been in the, the forefront of our thinking, certainly back in the U.S., I don't know if that gets through to Australia. I know that you guys have had a lot of really good swimmers over the past as well. Maybe I'm walking on really thin ice right now. Uh, <laughs> but bear with me. But Michael Phelps, you have to give it to him. He's quite the swimmer. Uh, Michael Phelps, as a young boy, had a dream, had a vision that he would become an Olympic swimmer and win one gold medal. And he shaped his whole life around that idea of becoming a gold-winning Olympic swimmer. And he achieved it at a relatively young age. In fact, about 15 gold medals later, Michael Phelps found himself at a place in life where he felt worthless, where he felt that he had no self-esteem, where he actually got to the point before, I believe, the London Olympics, where he thought of his life that it would be better if it did not go on. Here was a young boy who dreamed of one gold medal, had 15, and yet he found it empty and meaningless and ended up in a rehab center in Arizona. And it was in that place somebody gave him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, and he started to read. And he learned there that 
he had imposed his meaning, his desire, his plan for his life. But yet someone had a greater plan. Yes, it included him being a swimmer, but there was a greater purpose, far greater than the gold medal winning. And it was in that place that he found out that God had a purpose for his life. And he changed his thinking away from the, 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 that his life goal being that of a gold medal winner to having a greater purpose in life. And we saw the evidence of that uh, renewed life here in the Olympics and, and the peace that's about his life. But he understood that there was a greater purpose, a greater intent that was beyond his finite mind. As I live my life and as I watch others live their lives, I see that we are very prone to coming up with our own plans and following them. And I ask the question, why would we chase a dream or purpose originating in the heart of man and originating in my heart when we can live out the eternal purposes of our Creator? Why would we want to be all that we want to be. I don't know if that's a, a term, a, a, a phrase here in Australia, but in the US, this big mantra that you, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. But my question is back, why would I want to be anything that I want to be when I can be everything that God wants me to be and everything that God created me to be? And I chase after his purposes rather than my finite dreams, my finite sin-infused vision for my life, instead chasing after what God intended me to be because he was the original creator. And before he created everything, he had a, an intent, he had a, a vision, he had a plan in his mind. What is that plan? Well, let us go to Scripture as, as we dive in this morning uh, to Ephesians 1. If God is the original if God is the original author, the original um, artist, if God is the one who is the original creator of all things, and the intent of the original artist is really important, if the intent of the original creator is really important, if we want to understand what life is all about and how we live our life in the context of his purposes, in the context of his, his uh, plan for creation, and we, we get to Ephesians 1 and we see it. You see, in reality, when we want to find out uh, what, what, what time is all about, and we want to go back to the beginning, we don't go to Genesis 1, we go to Ephesians 1. Because Paul takes us out of time and into eternity. Paul allows us to step out of the, the, what was existing and what was happening in, in, in uh, Genesis 1, and he takes us into eternity, and he says this in verse 4, even before the world was made, even before he made the world, this is the New Living Translation, even before he made the world, listen, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So before the artist mixed the paints, before the, 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 the design of the work of art was in the heart of the Creator, there was an intent, there was a thought, there was a plan from which everything else would flow. And that was this, that God was desiring a people for Himself, a people that He would love. In fact, He would choose to love us, and He would choose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. That's the identity of this people is starting to form in the heart and the mind of, of God. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to make them, in Christ, I'm going to make them holy and blameless. When I look at them, I'm going to see the righteousness of Christ, not theirs, and, and that's the choice I'm going to make because they're going to go their own way. They're going to do sinful things. They're going to try to make up a plan for their own life. They're tried, going to try to follow that with all of their might, but yet I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to, to choose them. God decided, verse 5, in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You know, there's so much truth dripping in all of these statements. I don't have the time to go into it this morning, but suffice to say this, that, that here is God in eternity before anything existed. Another translation says, before he laid the foundations of the earth. So nothing had been made. God's saying, I, I, I'm going to, going to bring a people, I'm going to bring into being a people 
that, that I'm going to love. I'm going to choose in Christ. I'm going to make them holy. I'm going to, in fact, we're going to adopt them into our family. What family? Well, the, the Godhead, because this is a, in a sense a conversation between the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead whom we're introduced to in Genesis 1. And, and, and they're saying we're going to adopt them into our family. And in other parts of Scripture, we see that, that in that adoption process, we get the full rights to the whole inheritance as sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ. We're going to get adopted into his family as we come into Christ. And verse 5 says this, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God wanted to do this, and it gave him great pleasure to do this. Yes, even though he knew we would like sheep go our own way, God still took great pleasure in saying, I'm going to love them, I'm going to choose them, and bring them into my family. So before time began, before God started to paint this incredible picture that we know of as creation, as we, that we know of as the universe, before he threw the galaxies, the hundreds of millions of galaxies out there and the hundreds of millions of stars and into those galaxies, each of those galaxies, before he threw all of those out there and, and then put that little ball in place that we call Earth that had the, 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 the right environment for this, this humanity that he would create, this family that he wanted to create, that right environment to exist that they could, they could live. Before he did all of that, he had decided on this people. His original intent, I want a people for myself. I want a people for myself. I want a people for myself that I'm going to love, I'm going to choose, I'm going to adopt. And so when we look at our lives, when we look at our lives and say, well, why is it I exist? What was the original intent? We see clearly, and this is not new to you, but I, I, I want to make sure that it's there in the very foundations of who you are. God's desire for you, God's intent for you, His undeniable intent is to be in relationship with you, to bring you into His family, to see you as His child, and you see Him as your Father the most perfect, the most loving, gracious Father, to be in relationship with you. And over in Romans 11, Paul unpacks it a little bit further, that we've been brought into the family of God, we've been made joint heirs with Christ, and at the very end of that sentence is that one of the reasons that that happens is that we get to share in His glory. You see, God didn't need to create people so that He had have a bunch of worshipers that people would, would just live in this earth and tell him how good he is because God had all the glory he needed. God didn't need us to give him more glory. God didn't need a bunch of us to, to, to spend our lives telling him how good he was. He was perfect in every way and he had everything he needed. He simply wanted to bring a people into being that could share in that, could experience it, could experience his glory, his mercy, his joy, his peace, everything that he was as God. And now he wanted a people that he could bring into relationship so that they could share in that, so that they could experience it, so that they could live under that reality and be blown away by who he was. So God brings us, desires us for a relationship so that we get to share in his glory. You know, so often we struggle with our identity as people. The world tries to impose an identity on us, tells us here's what we should be, here's what we should feel, here's what we should look like. And inside ourselves, we so often dream up something for ourselves and, that, and we never can match up to it. But the reality is this, that before we were created, God had an identity for us as his child, as his loved one. And he was willing to go as far as saying, I'm going, they're going to get my full inheritance. They're, everything that I have is, is, is coming to them, is for them. That's who he made us to be, to be in relationship with him in that way so that we could share in his glory. But that relationship comes with a role. Paul, Paul says in, in Ephesians uh, one, he goes back down, he goes down the, 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 that chapter and, and, and it's, it's wonderful because he really lets us into the secret of why he did it. 
did, did this all. It says in verse 9 that God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His good plan. In other words, here's the purpose behind this. Here's why, part of why God wanted us to be in relationship in this way. And He was going to reveal it at the right time. And in verse 12, He starts to unpack it. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. So Paul's saying this is that God brought us into relationship. He allowed us to be part of his family so that our lives would get to be a reflection of his glory, that we would bring him glory. And he goes on down to say that for the Gentiles, it's the same thing. In verse 14, he said he did this so that we would bring praise and glory to him. So, you know, what we have to realize that God did not simply create us so that we could be in relationship with Him, although that's wonderful. That's amazing that we could be in relationship with Creator God, that we could have this status as a child of the Creator God and be loved unconditionally by Him. But that doesn't stop there. And for, for so many, that's, that's what they, in a sense, that's the space they live in. And they're quite content to come and worship and enjoy the, the, the amazing time that we can have together in giving God that, that praise and glory with our lips, that personal interaction with God. But the role of, as a child of God, there's a role that comes with that relationship that takes it much further. God brought us into relationship so that we could fulfill this role. What is that role? Well, in relationship, we get to share in His glory. We get to experience His glory. With the role, our role is to share His glory. Our role is to take that glory and let others see the glory of God through our lives. You know, in John 16 and 17, Jesus shows us this very, very clearly. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his Father, and he's saying, my time's finished on earth, and and Father, I've done your will. I've done everything you've told me to do. I've obeyed you, and in obeying you, I've brought you glory. And then in chapter 16, he's telling the disciples that he's leaving and the Holy Spirit's coming. And he says to the disciples that the Holy Spirit is only going to do what I tell him to do. And as he does what I tell him to do, he will bring me glory. And so we've been brought into that family through the relationship we've just talked about. And, and as we are brought into that family, just as the son obeys the father and in obeying the father, he, he, he brings him glory. And just as the spirit obeys the son... And in obeying the Son, He brings Him glory. We, as that family, as part of that family, in relationship with God, obey what we're told to do through the Spirit. And in doing so, we bring glory to God. And so we, not we are not just a people who are in relationship with God, with God. We are a people who are in relationship with God, who are fulfilling the role that comes with that relationship, which is obeying what God asks us to do, as living out our lives in obedience to His Word. And as we live out our lives in obedience to His Word, we bring God glory with our lives. And that's the role He has for us on this earth. The original intent of the Creator of the universe which lays the foundation for the purpose of our lives. There was no other reason for our existence. There's no other purpose for which we're on this earth. We may try to impose our own purpose. We may try to come up with our own dreams and our goals and our plans that will take us somewhere in life. And that's not all wrong. But when, they're, when they supersede the purpose of the original creator, that's where it becomes wrong. When our important things become more important than what God sets as the most important thing, then that is wrong. He has created us to be in relationship with Him, and that relationship comes with a role. And all of our life then is lived out under this context of we have been created to share in the glory of God. What a wonderful truth. But we've been created to share His glory through all of our life. Not part of our life, not a little bit of our life, not the bit of our life that happens here on a Sunday morning or a midweek but all of our life, every aspect of our life. You see, I believe that, that living our life for the glory of God does not speak primarily of our vocation or our activities, but it speaks primarily to the motivation of our heart. It speaks to that, that innermost motivation that says, you know, whatever plan I will come up with whatever, to do whatever I want to do will be done simply for the glory of God. When I go to work, I am here to do it onto the glory of God. When I go to school, I'm here to reflect the glory of God. 
You know, I have a good friend back in, in the U.S. called Alan Barnhart. Alan was a young man who was asked by his father, along with his brother, to run the company. Alan had a desire to go overseas to do mission work. And after praying, he believed that God was saying, you need to stay. And he and his brother got together and said, we are so fearful of what wealth would do to us that we're going to take one year of just looking through the scripture and find out what does God say about money? Because we're going to run this company and if it gets successful, we could get entrapped like many other people in America. So we're going to take one year and, and seek to understand from the scriptures what God says about money and then try to obey that and in obeying it, bring God glory. And so they did that. And after a year, they, they came up with this plan. They said, we're going to put a cap on our salary. So now, regardless of how successful the company will become, we, this will be our cap. We will increase it for inflation every year, but this will be the cap on our salary. And we will seek to run this business with integrity so that it will reflect the glory of God, regardless of the outcome. And off they went. They also... Uh, decided that they were going to give a lot of money away. And in the first year of the company's existence under these two brothers, they give away $50,000, which was twice as much as their salary. And they continued to do that. And 25 years later, Alan's company is worth over $400 million. He gives away a million dollars a month to the purposes of God overseas in that company. In fact, just about three or four years ago, he signed the deeds to that company over to a Christian foundation. He says, look, this has gotten so big, I no longer trust myself to always stay true to this. You now own my company. I'll run it, but we're going to give so much of the profit away every month to the purposes of God. You see, what happened there was Alan's motivation. He, he was a businessman, and he was going to run his business uh, with excellence as a businessman, but he wanted to make sure that the motivation of his heart was God's glory, God's purposes, that he lived in obedience to God's word, and he ensured that whatever he did was for the glory of God, and that's what he did. And as a result, his business uh, continues to flourish, but not only that, he continues to keep that motivation pure that drives him forward. So it's not so much about the activity that we do, but it's the motivation behind the activity we do. And sometimes we can get involved in what we call ministry, but our motivation's not there, not right. It's more out of guilt and obligation. And sometimes, and then the other side of that, we can be a business person in, 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 the, in the traditional viewpoint. We're not doing that ministry thing, doing this vocational thing, and God is glorified through our activity in that way. And we'll come back and look, about, look at that in a couple of minutes again. And so we have been created. The original intent of the author or the creator, was that we would be in relationship with him and get to share in his glory. And that we would have a role that came with that relationship, and that would be to share his glory. There's no other reason for existence. And you know, God then, when we come to Ephesians or Genesis 1, God is coming in front of his creation, and they're standing there in this naked innocence, before the creator. And, and three times we hear they've been made in his own image. They've been made in the image of God. So all of creation has been made. We've come to the last day. It's not an afterthought of God. It's the, it's the pinnacle of creation. Everything else has been made so this people could exist for her to be in relationship with him. And they're standing before him made in his image, which is an incredible truth. When, we, when you think of this, that, that God has made us in his image, we, we are the best reflection of who God is that, that exists because we're made in his image. The mountains weren't made in the image of God. The animals were not made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. Our lives, our beings are made in the image of God. And, and so think of that. About some couple of decades or more ago, I don't even want to remember or think about it, but I was driving from Adelaide to Sydney with my friend who's, who's from Melbourne. And we were driving in an old beat up Mazda van and that we had bolted a rhubar in the front of it. The, the rhubar was nearly heavier than the car. It was that big, but we didn't want to, uh, actually Sharon was in the back seat. Uh, we were married just a couple of years. Amazing what she tolerated. Um, but we were driving through the night from Adelaide to Sydney, and I remember somewhere in the middle there, in the, in, in the outback, where the land was so flat, 
in the middle of the night, we stopped the car and we got out and we lay on the bonnet. Is that what you call it over here? Okay. Uh, that's what I know too. Uh, the hood, the bonnet uh, of the car. And we just lay there, turned the lights off. No ambient light other than the stars and the planets. And looked up at the sky and went, wow, isn't that incredible? As far as we could see, just lit up by the lights. Incredible. Wow. Not long after that, I dropped backwards off the back of a boat into the Great Barrier Reef. I was able to swim around and see manta ray with huge wingspan and multi, thousands of multicolored fish. And I remember going, wow, wow, isn't God amazing? But here's the reality. We have been made in a much more perfect reflection of God's and his glory than all of those things put together. And the question I then ask is, Andrew, when was the last time somebody looked at my life and went, wow, isn't God great? Because I see a reflection of God in Andrew's life. If God made us not only to share in his glory in relationship, but to share his glory, to be obedient in such a way that we reflected his glory and goodness through the actions of our lives, through the attitudes of our lives, through the way we do our work, through the way we interact with people. If he made us to do that, that was his original intent. There was no other intent, regardless of what we try to bring in. When was the last time we did that in such a way that when people looked at our lives, they had the same, even better reaction because we're a better reflection of God's glory than the, the stars and the mountains and the sea? When is the last time they went, wow? Yet that's what God created us to be. And so here we are, seeing his creation, standing in the garden, in naked innocence, waiting for the creator to sort of give him the marching orders to sort of put his words of blessing over them. And the first words that they were going to hear out of the mouth of God was this, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Now, of course, they were unaware of that at that, this time of, of everything that we've just talked about. This is a revelation that Paul has brought to us. But here's the reality. Here they were. And God is saying, here's what I want you to do as you live on this planet. Here's, what I, here's how I want you to now go about your life. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, growing up in Ireland, I thought that was all to do with having a lot of babies. And the Irish were pretty good at having a lot of babies. Uh, I wasn't so good. I just really, we, Sharon and I just like duplicated ourselves. We just have two. But Sam and Andrea and Stuart and Bronwyn did a whole lot more, be a, whole, a whole lot better than us. They did the whole multiplication thing, you know. And uh, but but it, it, it's it's got a lot more to do than just having babies, because if you if if you uh, just re remember everything I just said, that God before He created this all had this desire to be in relationship with these people, and to make them in his image so that they could be part of his family, so that they could share in his glory, that they could share his glory. And then he has them in front of them. And he says, now, I want you to go, and I want you to go make more of these individuals that are in relationship with me and are going to reflect my glory wherever they go. I want you to make so many that you multiply. In fact, multiply so much that the whole earth is filled with people that are in relationship with me and reflect my glory wherever they go. Because my desire is that the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. This is God's original intent. And he speaks it over his people as a blessing. And in other words, he's saying, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply. You're going to fill the earth. And you're going to get to govern it. But as, as often in the Old Testament, the blessing came as a mandate. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. And I want you to govern it as you go. And that was this mandate that they were sent off with as they were to go and be part of what God had intended on the earth. And so you see this movement, you see this action-oriented thing that God was pushing them towards. And as he did that, the, he, he was putting his eternal purposes on their heart. Ecclesiastes writers tells us that God put eternity on our hearts, that he gave us, he brought us into his eternal purposes. He made us for his eternal purposes. That was his original intent. And he's pushing us out into this time, this period of existence called time out of eternity to be in relationship with him and to multiply so that there would be lots of people uh, that lived that way. And he wired us originally as sojourners, as aliens, as pilgrims on this earth. 
that this was a period of time. It wasn't everything. It was just a period. And there was coming a day when there'll be something more perfect that we would get to be part of. And that we were never to settle here, but that we were to be a people moving around on purpose with God so that the whole earth would be filled with people on purpose with God. It's interesting as you read through Scripture that we continually got stuck and settled. I love the, the verse in the, where the Hebrew writer says this, that uh, as he was unpacking all of the, the, the great people from the past, Abraham and, and uh, even people like uh, Rahab and others, and he talked about that they looked forward for something that they never really saw in their lifetime, but that they were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And they agreed, <clears throat> verse 13 says, that they were foreigners or nomads here on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking for a, forward to a country they call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly home, homeland. And listen to this. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God was not ashamed to be called a God of the people who did not see this period of time, this place called earth, as the place where they were to settle and, get, and stay, but a place where people would constantly be willing to move, constantly be willing to say, this is just for a period. I'm going to live for eternity. I'm going to make sure my life is wrapped around eternal purposes, not temporal purposes. I'm going to make sure that I live for uh, the eternal, not for time. And I'm going to live as a pilgrim. And yet, when we look at Scripture, we see that we constantly go back to making sure that everything is comfortable. And we settle. And we get stuck. And all throughout Scripture, God constantly scatters His people. He disrupts them. God dis to scatters distracted people. If they, if they stepped out of relationship with him, he scattered them. That was primarily in the Old Testament. He scattered them into the, the other lands. Every major civilization we read off in the Old Testament, God scattered his people into it. And as they went, because they stepped out of relationship, they got scattered to a place where they were uncomfortable. And when they were uncomfortable, they came back and they said, and they, as we read in the Psalm, they sat down and wept when they remembered Zion. They remembered the place of God. They remembered the relationship they had with God. God scattered them into that place so they would remember him. But as they went, they reflected his glory and goodness, and they changed the hearts of nations. I mean, if you think of Joseph, what an incredible story of this young, arrogant, big-headed guy who gets taken down into Egypt and becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. God scattered him there. But while he was there, he became so powerful that he changed the heart of the king. And Daniel... An incredible story of a young man who was 10 times better than anybody else in the kingdom. I love that story. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and does the final exam with these young men from Judah. And he, he, he examines them. He asks them a bunch of questions. And he says of Daniel and his three friends that I find them 10 times better than anybody else in the kingdom. Why was that? Well, Daniel was probably really bright because God gave him that talent. But secondly, I believe this, that God, Daniel had purposed in his heart. He was here for God and he was going to live for God's purposes. And he was made a very powerful person. I haven't time to go into the whole story, but not long after that, he met the need of the king through an unknown uh, dream. And the king made him the second most powerful man in Babylon. Can you imagine that, this pagan empire? And here was Daniel, a God follower, so powerful. And all of these kings that we see in the Babylonian and Persian empire that Daniel served alongside, so many of them at some point in their life declare there is no God but Daniel's God. Or the greatest God in all of this country is Daniel's God. Because there was Daniel living out his life for the purposes of God in that nation as they were scattered into it. And of course, in the New Testament, we see that God scattered his people, not so much because of the relationship problem, but because they weren't fulfilling the role. He had told them to go. Jesus had put the beef fruit, fill, multiply, and fill the earth a different way. He said, go make disciples of all nations. So go be fruitful, make more of yourself, and make sure every nation has them. And, and that every one of them knows what I've just taught them, taught you. And off they, they didn't go, and God came in 
and scattered the people all over the earth. So what does this all mean for us? If God, as the original creator of the universe, before time began, had decided, I'm going to make a people for myself that I will be in relationship with. And they'll get to share in my glory. Day after day, they'll get to experience my peace that transcends in all, all understanding. That they will get to experience the joy, the inexpressible joy that comes from knowing me that they will get to experience all of these things that I can provide as their father. What an amazing truth. But with that relationship will come a role and, and, and they will have this privilege of joining me in, in reflecting my glory all over the earth. And I will call them out into my purposes in that way. And the reality is, and I don't have time to go into this, this this morning, but, but he made us, he shaped us according to that purpose. And you can read a little bit about that in, in my book. This idea that in Ephesians 2, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So in the context of Ephesians, I believe what Paul is saying is that before God made us, he thought of what he wanted us to do, and then he made us accordingly. He shaped us in a very specific and unique way. Rick Warren came up with that acronym called SHAPE, spiritual gifts. He's given every one of us spiritual gifts. He's given every one of us passions or a heart, H, passions for things. And he has given us those passions. Why? Because he wants us to reflect his glory on the earth. He didn't just give them for our own well-being. A, abilities. Natural abilities he's given you. Some of you are really good engineers. Some of you are real good accountants. Some of you are really good musicians. Why has God given us those abilities? He's given us those abilities for his purpose because there was no other intent for him to make us in the first place. And so often we push those things out of our lives and we, we, we often think that our natural abilities or even our passions are, are for ourselves or from ourselves. But yet God has given us those things for his purposes on this earth. And he's given us all P, personality, E, experiences in life. And these things shape who we are. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that he prepared these things in advance. And he made us accordingly. He, he, he made us accordingly to fulfill his purposes. And so some of us, some of us will fulfill his purposes in the engineering company. Some will fulfill his purposes in the school. Some will fulfill his purposes in the clinic, in the hospital, in the art gallery. Some standing up here preaching. But all of us have been, all of us have been given a shape to do the good works which he, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And he, because he made us to do those things. And he calls it a masterpiece. God has shaped you uniquely for his purposes that he's called you into, that he set you apart for. And so I want to just encourage you as we come to the end of this, this message that God has made you for relationship, wonderful, but he, and he's given you a role. What an incredible privilege that we get to join God in his purposes for the earth. That role is not for a few. And here is one of the issues I find in the traditional model that we've had for many years, that we have somehow allowed it to be that, that the ministry part is for those that we say are called. That, that somehow you need a special call from God to get involved in this idea of serving his purposes on the earth. But if it's true that there is only one reason for God to create us, and that is to be in relationship, and that relationship comes from a role, that means that we're not called into the purposes of God. We were made for the purposes of God. Now, God may lead us into specific uh, roles, that he may, uh, we may get a very, very unique call to go do that. But the reality is we do not need a unique call to be involved in the purposes of God, that God has made us for those things. And so wherever God has placed you, as a result of your abilities and your passions in that workplace, in that neighborhood, in that community, in that school, God has placed you there to reflect his glory and his goodness so that when people look at your life because you're such a good engineer and you're doing it not for the earthly master that you get the salary from, but that you're doing it as unto the Lord, they look at it and they go, wow, there's something different about your life. We have 
a worker in a very, very close part of the country, a world. I met her just about a year and a half ago in a coffee shop. One of the most difficult places in the world to work. And she went there 17 years ago as a nurse. And she said, Andrew, I went to do it as unto the Lord. I believed God had wired me to be a nurse. I loved being a nurse. This, was, this is what God put me on the planet to do. And I wanted to go do it somewhere where God was not worshipped. And so she came to this country and she worked in a government hospital. And she, day after day, she just was the best nurse she could be. And soon she was noticed. In fact, she was noticed to the point that the CEO called her in and said, look, would you... Would, would you, you're so good at being a nurse. I mean, while we look at your life and you go, we want everybody to be like Mary. And so Mary, would you be willing, because they knew she had an educational background, would you be willing to train all the rest of the nurses to do that? And so Mary agreed and she put a training program together. And over the next two years, she trained every nurse in this massive hospital in this really close country where they're all Muslims. And she's done such a good job that the CEO of the hospital went, wow, our, our whole standard of nursing has just gone up so many levels. And he brought Mary back in again. He said, Mary, you've done a really good job, but you know what? The doctors need to learn this too. <laughs> Would you train the doctors? And so Mary had this privilege of training all the doctors in the hospital. In fact, everybody in the hospital. And after a period of time, this hospital became so good at the medical care that it was given an international award for medical excellence in medical care that very, very few hospitals ever receive. Why? Because of Mary's approach to her work. She saw that God had made her, shaped her to be a nurse. She knew that the only reason she was on this planet was through the way God shaped her to reflect his glory and goodness wherever he placed her. She decided she wanted to do that where God was not worshipped, in a place where very few of any knew of him. That's where, where she went to. But she was living out how God had shaped her in such a way that when people looked at her life, just as we would do when we look at amazing mountains or, or an amazing landscape, and we go, wow. When people looked at her life, they went, wow. Why? Because the glory of God is attractive. And when a non-believer sees something in our life that's just that attractive, they go, wow. They don't know that they're looking at the glory of God. They just are wowed by it. And they were attracted to it. And every week, Mary now has a number of ladies from that background. And she does a Bible study with them. And the only way that she can get her Bible study material uh, photocopied is through going to the religious policeman who holds the keys to the photocopy room and say, would you copy them? And every week he copies them and says nothing. Why? Because Mary is so good at what she does. She's become untouchable. And she's built such a reputation and such a wow over her life that they let, let her do whatever she wants. A little bit like Joseph, a little bit like Daniel, that even though they, they purposed in their heart they wouldn't defile themselves, they still were allowed to serve in these high positions in the country. What if, what if we were a bunch of Daniels, a bunch of Marys, a bunch of Esthers that went out from this place and yes, this is a gathering place, but this is a gathering place not to settle and go, wow, wasn't that a good word today? I feel good. But a gathering place where we come to be equipped to leave these doors, to look in that mirror and realize that I am now the, 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 the missionary. I am now the reflection of God's image that steps out of this, this box and steps out into the world, into the community where God has placed me, into the job that God has placed me, into the school where God has placed me. And I, I am there to live my life in such a way that it reflects God's glory and goodness in such a way that people will say, wow. And they'll do what Peter tells us will happen. They, they'll come up and they'll ask us for a reason for the hope that lies within us. Our lives are so bright. Our salt is so salty that people notice the difference. They go, there's something different about you. Tell me what it is. Give me a reason for the hope that lies within you. And they get an opportunity, we get an opportunity to share our faith because we're ready. What would it look like if every one of us as a follower of Jesus here from Eltham Baptist Church left the building to do that this week? To go into the community, to be that light. To let our works, first of all, show the glory of God. Because Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. That, he wasn't talking about charity there. He was talking about how you're living your life. Your attitude. He'd just come out of the beatitude. Your attitude, the way you approach life. Let people see your, 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 your life like that. 
And as they do, they will glorify God, he said. And so as you live your life, yes, it's good to have plans, it's good to have goals, it's good to have dreams. But make sure those plans, those dreams, are seeking the kingdom of God first, as Jesus put it, and his righteousness. Putting him first. And you're making his glory the most important thing. Because he said that all the other things will be added on. So don't go chasing the add-ons, the things that we worry about, where we'll eat, what we'll wear, where we live. Don't go chasing the add-ons. Chase the kingdom of God. Chase the glory of God. And make it first in your choices and your goals and your dreams. In such a way that as you live out your life, people will go, wow. Wow. And give God glory. Father, we ask that as we chew on your word, as we digest it, you will help us, Father, to put it into action. Our desire is your glory, but yet so often we get distracted. Our desire is that all would know you, but so often we get waylaid by our own plans, our own dreams, our own ambitions. Sometimes, Father, we don't recognize what you've put in front of us as the opportunity, as the place where we can reflect your glory. Help us as we step into this week to know that our work, our neighborhood, the sports field, the school is our place. Help us to reflect well who you are. Help us to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And I pray for Eltham Baptist that this will be a city on a hill, a light that is so bright, salt that is so salty, that this whole area will be infected by it, will be lit up by it. For the glory of your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.